There's even new believer stuff. I mean, just check it out. That's all good stuff for you to grow. Amen? And I want to see everybody grow. And remember, you got to keep growing. Amen? Don't be stunted in your growth. Because remember, uh, you know, Snow White has seven dwarves. You want to be a dwarf, you want to keep growing. Amen? We have too many people walking around like the dwarves. You know, we got, uh, we got Sneezy walking around. They're always sick. They always have issues and problems. But Jesus wants to heal you. Amen? We got too many people walking around like, like grumpy. Too many people are like grumpy. Everybody remember grumpy the dwarf? You know, they're walking around, got a bad attitude all the time. Jesus will fix your attitude. I mean, man, he gets on the inside. You know, I tell you what, I think that's why some of you get up and walk out of service. Some of you got to figure this out. You know what, guys? You just got to cut loose in the house of God. Amen? Maybe it's just we Greek people are just nuts. You know, we just like, oh, yeah, we're out there. <laughs> right? Maybe you got to get in contact with your little inner Greek. Amen? Stop being grumpy. You know what? We, you know what? I think some of you get out of service because I think what happens is in the middle of service, you're like, yeah, this is really good, but I'm shy. There are people around me. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm like a Bay Area resident. I mean, most of the people seem depressed and angry around here. I can't be happy. So I'm not going to cut loose. And I think what you, you, something builds up on the inside of you. Because remember, Jesus is living inside of you. You received him as Savior. He's living inside of you. And he's like, oh, come on, let me out. I want to have some fun. I mean, that's what's bugging you on the inside. He's trying to get, get, get out, and you're trying to keep him in. So I think what happens is you feel him kind of building inside, and you're like, I can't do this. And all of a sudden, I think you just get up, all dignified, and you walk into one of the restrooms, you know, during service, during worship and all the rest. You walk into one of the restrooms. You look underneath, make sure nobody's in there. You get in one of the stalls, close the door, and you go, oh, yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> and you come walking in all dignified, all in the inside over here. Come on, cut loose in the name of Jesus. I break out in tongues. I get my praise on. I mean, I could be in the, in the line at the, at, 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 the, at the grocery store, man. I mean, I get a sale. I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't be embarrassed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Too many people like grumpy. Remember, there's, sne uh, there's uh, sneezy, right? Or, or, you know, that's the one that's always sick. Walking around like that. There's sneezy. There's grumpy. There's doc. Oh, man, we got too many people like doc walking around trying to fix everybody else, and they're the ones who need the work. Are you hearing me? I think I'm actually doing a message on the seven dwarves. <laughs> I can't believe I'd be like, how did I get down this track? While I'm talking, I can actually think because my, my, my brain works faster than my mouth does. That should scare everybody here. But uh, I'm just telling you, I'm sitting there going, why am I talking about the dwarves? <laughs> you know, we got Doc. We got Doc, right? What's uh, Name another one. Don't be. Oh, my. God. You know, those are the people who are like, well, I don't need to pray. I have like this miracle cross I got when I gave this miracle offering. <laughs> Those are the people who are just waiting. Do you know what? I actually got in the mail. Some ministry was sending out a wallet in the mail. It was the cheapest made wallet ever. I, I can't remember the name of the ministry. They sent out a miracle wallet. Did anybody ever get that? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I got a miracle wallet and it said, put your offering in, send it back to our ministry, and we will pray over this wallet and this wallet will never be empty again for you. And you know what I did? I actually wrote something on a piece of paper, stuffed it in the wallet, and sent it back to them. And do you know what I wrote? Do you want to know what I wrote? Come on, encourage me, encourage me. I wrote, then use it yourself. <laughs> How dopey is that, right? This piece of wood came from, from th something that may be the cross. I mean, how dopey is that? Name another one of the dwarves. Come on. Which, sleep, oh, we got that. We got people asleep in the light all over the place. You know what? I want to tell you something. You better make sure you sleep before you come to church. Because in the middle of preaching, if somebody says, if you're struggling and you're a whoremonger, and all of a sudden you've been asleep and all of a sudden you wake up like, yeah, amen. <laughs> that is the wrong time to say amen. <laughs> Some people say amen. I'm like, they were sleeping during this whole thing. Somebody comes up and says, I'm struggling with this. They're in their services. You get people up at the altar all the time. They're like, oh, pastor, I really, I'm struggling with this in my life, man. I mean, I'm struggling with this. And you're like, I just preached an entire message on this. Where were you? I saw your body there. You were like this. Some of you have mastered the ability to sleep with your eyes open. I know that's true. You know, either that or else, I mean, you're either snoring or you have a demon because that sound only comes out of one or two kinds of people. And you're just sitting there, and we're figuring it's probably sleeping because even a demon doesn't do this. 
<laughs> Unless that demon's got sleep apnea. Now listen to me, all right? I want to tell you something, guys. I mean, come on, name another one of the dwarves. Bachelor. Oh, you know what? We got to be bold in our faith for Jesus Christ. We got too many bashfuls walking around all over the place. The time has come to rise up and let people know where we stand and who we are in the name of Jesus. Amen? Listen, man, I'm serious. If, don't go out in public with me if you have the slightest bit of concern about being outed as a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, I just want to tell you something, man. I was, uh, I was, I had, I was uh, driving somewhere. I was driving somewhere, and, I'm, uh, and I had to go to the restroom. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, so I'm old. I drink a lot of water because, you know, in Colorado, like, like, we always drink water. So I'm drinking all the water. I'm like, I have so got to go to the restroom. So I pulled off to go find a place, and it was a bowling alley. That was the closest thing I could find. So I thought they always have uh, – so I go running in the bowling alley, do my business, and then I'm like, I'm thirsty again, so I might as well go get something. So I go to the, now there's leagues going on. It's a Saturday. There's leagues going on, and so the whole place is packed. I go to the restaurant, not a single person's in the bowling alley restaurant, right? So I go in there, and I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for like five minutes, and I'm like, there's nobody here. I'm looking at the cash registers going, I could rip this off and give it all to missions. I mean, repent at my own altar call. I mean, I could do that. Um, but I'm sitting there and all the rest, and I'm like, nobody's here. There's nobody. I go back into the kitchen. There's nobody in the kitchen. Evidently, they're delivering stuff to the people, right? So they're delivering it. I'm like, oh, man. So I get back to the counter. All of a sudden, I notice they had an intercom and a switch. I am really bad. That's why they don't let me back there, because I like pushing buttons. I'm like, what does this do? <laughs> you know, I would probably cause a world war by doing things if I got near the Pentagon. But so, so I'm, 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 I'm sitting there going, well... I mean, you know, I mean, it's here. So I flicked on the switch and it went live. And I thought, this is great. So I tapped and I said, hi, everybody. I mean, and it was all over the whole bowling alley. So I quoted Psalm 103 from memory. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And I kept going, right? Um, who restores your youth like the eagle. It's awesome. It's a great script. Uh, I got to about verse 5 and uh, they came peeling around the corner. Uh, the, evidently the manager and the cook and they came peeling around the corner and the guy like half leaps over the counter and turns it off and he yelled at me he said you can't do that I said I'm sorry <laughs> I said I probably should apologize so I flicked it back on brought the microphone down and I said I am so sorry everybody they just told me I can't do this but remember if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior and you're bowling you become a true holy roller amen everybody God bless you <laughs> I am not going to be bashful. <sighs> Amen. Come on. Is there another? There's another one, right? Happy. Oh, come on. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> I got to remember this. This would be a good message. Hear this. <laughs> Guys, I want to tell you, it's time for us not to be dwarves anymore. Amen. It's time for us to get our praise on and let people know who Jesus is. Stop being a dwarf. It's time to grow up. And when pastor said it's the year of the disciple, it is the year of the disciple. A disciple grows up from being a child, no longer a dwarf. We grow into the full size of what Jesus has asked us to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody clap your hands in Jesus' name. <laughs> I got to remember that. That actually turned out really good. And if you don't think that was spontaneous, then you have not been paying attention the last few days. Hear this, all right? Uh, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 11. All right, Luke chapter 11. I want to conclude with one little pep talk and teaching about the most important aspect of your life in the name of Jesus and bring everything together. When Pastor Brian, thank you, Pastor Brian, for inviting me. Thank you, Pastor Esteban, for allowing me. Thank you, all of you, uh, for not shooting me. L listen to me. Um, I want to say this, Pastor Brian. Thank you so much. He had actually, he said, you know, Brother Dean, we just really need, man, it's about souls. It's about intercession. It's about all that stuff. And it, all that goes together. So if you don't mind, I want to kind of bring it all together this entire week by concluding with a little parable Jesus told. Can I do that? Come on, encourage me. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 5, says this. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says to him, don't bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his bold persistence, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door shall be opened. 
Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Everyone shout amen. amen. Can I hand this to you, precious Debbie? Thank you so much. Um, listen to me. Uh, Jesus in this parable is talking about prayer. What's he talking about? Prayer. Shout it. He's talking about prayer. Now, I just want to make sure that you remember this parable so you remember if, if uh, things don't go well for some of my overseas trips this year, and I have a few things that are going to be a bit risky, uh, and so if I don't make it out alive, I pray you will remember this. Amen? By the way, if you think I'm, I'm joking about this, I'm not. A lot of the things that I do, like if you want to come on a mission, how many of you would love to come on a missions trip with me? How many would, okay, now I want to tell you something. It would be like so awesome, but our missions application does have a box you have to check. And at the bottom it says, you have to check a box that says, I am not afraid to die. <laughs> that is on it. And we had a lady call us once and said, um, I noticed this, and everybody knows I have a sense of humor. And so they're like, is this his sense of humor? I mean, she actually called and got me. And so she said, she says, is this your sense of humor or is this serious? I said, it's serious. She goes, well, what are the odds on this trip that I want to go on that we would actually die? I said, well, if we actually do this the right way and the way I envision it, really high. <laughs> and uh, she never actually came and never got back in contact with her ministry. Now, I will say that that box limits the size of the groups, but I will say this, it is true. I mean, the fact is one day we may die, but who really cares? Because if we die, we're in heaven. We don't have to worry about anything. Everything is fine. There's no more curse, no more pain, no more suffering, no more nonsense of this earth. We have our reward in heaven. We're with Jesus walking streets of gold. I mean, come on. What's bad about that? And on top of that, if we leave this country, then that means somebody else has got to pick up our tax burden. And to me, that alone wants them to keep us alive. Amen. Now hear me, right? I mean, the fact is, is that it's cool to kind of come, and I want to see people come and all the rest, but I do want you to remember this as kind of like a final little word. Amen? So Jesus tells this parable, and the beginning of this parable is probably the most depressing beginning of a parable ever. Think about this. He says, suppose you have a friend. <laughs> you know, some people are like, listen, some of you are like, well, I'm a leader. Did you ever bother to look over your shoulder in your leading? If there's nobody following, you're just taking a walk. And a lot of us, you know, we don't really know, we don't know, we don't know the people who live next door to us. We don't know the people who sit behind us at church. We don't know. I mean, zone coverage has nothing to do with football. It has everything to do with people trying to keep their spot in their pew at church on a Sunday. The reality is a lot of times we have no engagement with the people around us. We're not concerned about them. The lost art of friendship is one of the saddest things ever to me. And the fact that we're not concerned about people. I constantly ask people questions. I learn things about people. I always want to find out about somebody. I try to find something to say positive about every single person I come into contact with. I like to lift somebody up. The book of Jeremiah, the, God, the, uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah, he, God speaking to him says to him in chapter 1, he says, I've given you authority to build up and to tear down. And I've learned that building up is a lot more fun than tearing down is. You know, use this mouth, death and life and the power of the tongue, it says in Proverbs 18, 21. Those who love it will eat of its fruit. Use your mouth to bless and to build up. Somebody shout amen. amen. So Jesus says, suppose you have a friend. Now, he tells this story, and so let's glean everything he says about prayer out of this story before we conclude our meetings together, and you have an awesome rocket. Oh, yeah, Jesus kind of time tomorrow night. Now, hear this, right? Jesus says this. He goes, in this parable, teaching about prayer. What's it teaching about? So in this parable, there's a guy. In this parable, there's a what? And this guy has a friend, right? And this guy has a friend, and his friend comes over, and so he creates a need. So in this parable, there's a guy, and the guy has a need. Okay, in this parable, there's a? And the guy has a? But I want you to notice this. His need is not actually for himself, is it? His need's for someone? Right, his need's for someone else. We're always crashing the altar saying, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. The needs we have are not for us. They're for other people. You know, even the finances I have in my life are not for me. They're for other people so I can bless and use them for other people. Some years ago, a little while back, a long time ago now, when we first moved to Colorado, Carol was so excited. My wife Carol uh, was, um, if I forgot, uh, she said hi. But uh, Carol, right, so we moved to Colorado, which is where she's from. Originally, she was from New Mexico. 
and so then her family kind of emigrated to Denver, and so they live in Denver. And so, um, so when we finally moved back to Denver after living in, you know, inner city Chicago for a period of time, after we moved uh, to Denver, uh, uh, Carol was really happy because we were going to spend our first Christmas with her family, and we were having them all over. And so she was so excited. And on Christmas Eve day, everyone say Christmas Eve day, Carol sends me out. She sends me out. She goes, honey, I'm all prepared with everything. All I need is five ingredients. They're all in one row for the last thing I need to make for the Christmas dinner. So can you please go out to the grocery store and go get the final five ingredients? It shouldn't take you but five minutes. They're all in the same aisle. Now, I want to say something to everybody. Have you ever been out grocery shopping on Christmas Eve day? How many of you know that people are not in a fa-la-la-la-la good mood? They're not saying fa-la-la-la-la. Y'all know what they're saying, right? So we, I go in there, right? The place is packed with humanity. The shelves are basically empty. My wife was completely right. It actually took less than five minutes. I found everything within like about six feet in the same aisle. And then I went to go try to check out. Now, the place I went to, which was close to us, was like a grocery warehouse kind of place. There were 20 aisles, okay, with cash registers. Every one of them was open. Every one of them was open. And there were at least 20 people in every one of those aisles. I have a couple of pet peeves in my life. I'm an easygoing, intense, kind of fun-loving guy. Have you figured that out? I'm an easygoing guy. I love people. I have a few pet peeves. One of them is, if I'm standing in the 15 items or less line, to me, it means 15 items or less, not 15 categories of items or less. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? And so I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at the carts in front of me thinking, why are you in the 15 items or less line? But, you know, it's Christmas. So you don't do a beat down on Christmas, all right? Because Santa watches, okay? <laughs> and so I'm waiting in line, and, and I don't mind it once you get to where the magazines are. Because, you know, I, okay, confession here. I actually enjoy looking at the Inquirer and all those other things. Or I'm confessing that to you. And I was standing in line, and the lady in front of me, who was a widow, and I'll tell you how I know she was a widow, but the lady standing in front of me was a widow, uh, standing in front of me. I'm standing in line and I'm looking at the Enquirer and on the cover of the Enquirer on Christmas Eve day on that, that year, um, there was this weird picture of this little girl holding this weird, bizarre creature. And it said as the headline, little girl gives birth to UFO dog. And I'm like, whoa, that's, exactly, that's what I did, like, whoa, right? I'm like, wow, and I looked at the lady in front of me, the old lady in front of me, and I said, I wonder if she had a hard time delivering that, you know, if the crowning was really difficult, because that looks like that would have hurt, you know, kind of thing, and I'm kind of joking, because, like, I'm sitting here in my mind thinking, by the time this line gets done, my kids will have grown up, gone to college, had families, and my grandkids will have gone to college. I mean, I'm never going to see them, and so so I, so it's, but I got there, so I started joking with her, and she joked back, and the two of us struck up a little fellowship, a little friendship, right? And now our line stopped because it was me, then that lady, and then the person who had stopped the line by this time. And it was some person having some kind of like, it wasn't a disagreement, but they're having some kind of an issue. Uh, they were signing papers and other stuff. And, and the, the, the young lady who was the cashier was this little Puerto Rican girl, about four foot ten. I mean, I doubt she was 90 pounds soaking wet. Her name was Irena. And so Irena was, was, uh, was there, the cashier. And there, I, it may have been food stamps, I don't know, but they're filling up papers and all the rest. And our line is not moving. And, and uh, I had no mustache, and it grew in by that time. And so it was, it was just like that. So we're standing there, right? And we're standing there, and so I looked at this, this lady, and I said, so how's your, how's your Christmas? How's it going? How's your Christmas? And she did this. Now, this lady was old, right? She's grandma. She's, it's Christmas. It's over the river, through the woods. It's her house you're aiming for, all right? And she's, she's standing there, and she looks at me. She does this. Now, look at this. She does this. She's like, her lower lip starts like, and a little tear comes, and she goes, it's, it's a little bit better for me this year. And she looks down and sobs. I mean, I'm asking a complete stranger this. You're like, you asked a complete stranger? Yes! And then I went, I went up to her, and I put my arm around her. <gasps> you put your arm around a, a complete stranger? Yes! She looked like she needed a hug. What am I supposed to do, watch her cry? 
I'm Greek, not German. Ha ha ha, sorry. <laughs> I did not look at her and go, Ach du lieber mein Gott. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Get it together, Schweinholz. No, I didn't do that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I just went there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. No, sorry. <laughs> that was so bad. Okay, so, um, so, so I look at her and I put my arm around her. I said, what, what happened? <gasps> You're asking, how dare you meddle in people's business? I'm born again. I'm filled with the spirit. I have a right to be totally nosy. Your business is my business. I'm not here to just walk by and let you leave and leave you in your pain and your agony and your shame and your guilt. I want to know what's going on with you. Why? Because you just want to know. No, because I know the solution to your problems. I'm supposed to just walk by and not ask. I mean, come on. So I had my arm around her and she saw me and said, what happened? She said her husband, who she'd been married to, her high school sweetheart, they got married right out of high school. They had been married 65 years, and he died on Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas, a year previously. I can't even imagine how painful that would be. For those of you who've been married, I mean married to somebody you actually like, can I tell you something? <laughs> I, tell you, I, love my, I can't even imagine. I feel like crying talking about not being with my wife. You know, we've been married 32 years, Carol and I, and I tell you what, I mean, it's been the most joyous, fun, joy ride ever. Has it all been perfect? Of course not, but that's what makes it so sweet. It's getting through the difficulties, it's getting through the problems. That's what makes it so incredible. So many people quit before they really get to live it. And, and, and I, I, it was, I, I tell you, it just broke my heart, you know, or whatever. And well, by this time now, what I didn't know, and she's crying, what I didn't know is our stuff, her stuff had gone through the conveyor belt because I finally got my stuff on the conveyor belt and her stuff had gone through. That other lady, I mean, I'm having this conversation with her and now all of her stuff has been scanned. And so Irena goes, that's going to be 34.55, okay? And I, and, and, I, and I also, I disengaged from this little widow lady. I disengaged from her. I took out my wallet, I took out my credit card and I said, I'm paying for her groceries. And this lady, now mind you, there's all these people all over, right? So people are actually, I didn't know this, but people were actually watching all the stuff that's going on. And I'll tell you how I figured that out in just a second. So I, I, take, I take out my credit card. I go like this, and I give it to Irena, and I give her my card. I said, I'm paying for her groceries. And this little widow lady says, no, you're not. I said, yes, I am. She says, no, you're not. And I looked at Irena, who I'd never met before in my life. It just said Irena on her name tag. I said, Irena, I said, come on. Tell her that a complete stranger at Christmas time ought to be able to pick up her tab. And Irena grabs my credit card. She goes, do you know something? I'm going to take his money and pay for your stuff, Okay. <laughs> That's what she said. So she scans my card. This widow lady starts crying again. She goes, nobody's ever done something like that for me. And plants a big wet one on my cheek. Don't stress it, I told Carol. Okay, <laughs> all right. Plants a big wet one on my cheek. Right? When she did that, this is what happened. The four rows on this side and the five rows on this side, all of them were clapping. All of them had been paying attention to what was going on. I would say I got a standing ovation, but like we were all standing, but I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> right, everybody's clapping and all the rest. And I looked at it, everybody clapping. And I waved my hands, right, like this. I said, listen, everybody, I know why you're clapping. I know. I said, it's because a complete stranger helped out a person he never met before here at Christmas time. But after all, isn't that the Christmas message? Because you all owe God because of all of our sins. All of us do. And he, a stranger to most of us, paid our debts. So remember, he is the reason for the season. And make sure you get Jesus in your families and in your hearts. Well, they started giving me another ovation. The, there was a couple in back of me. It was a mother and her nine-year-old kid. The entire time before this whole event happened with this lady, they were cursing each other out. I mean, that nine-year-old was mouthing off to his mother, using words I didn't even use when I was unsaved, right? Well, I mean, they're just mouthing off. I'm like, where on earth? I mean, I mean if I had said that to my father, I would not be alive today, <laughs> right? And he would have a prison ministry in my honor. But hear this, right? So they're, they're cursing each other out. Well, after everybody started clapping after this whole thing happened, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, oh yeah, this is awesome. This lady taps me on the shoulder and she's bawling. She looks at me, she goes, I wanna thank you for that example you just set. Thank you for showing, showing my boy what Christmas is all about. In my mind, I'm thinking, why don't you give it a shot every now and then, okay? <laughs> I'm not as suave as the pastors here. I wanted to go, uh, Listen to me, everybody. 
That day I had a need. For what? I had a need for money. For what reason? Not for myself to spend it on myself. I had a need for the needs of that lady. So not just she, but for at least 150 people could hear what the Christmas message was so the word could get out to a whole bunch of people. Amen? Every day we have needs, but our needs are for the people around us. We need to pursue God that we might have what we need to give them what they need. It's no insignificant thing that in this parable Jesus tells, he says the need was for bread to put on the table. See, in that day, like in some of our cultures that are represented here in this room, especially in mine, you know, my Greek culture, if somebody comes to your house, you have to put food on the table for them. That's just a necessity. And if you don't have food to put on the table for them, that is a major no-no. It is majorly losing face, which is incredibly important. We've got to feed people. I mean, you come to my house, you're going to get fed. No matter what. You know, I don't eat meat. I'm a vegan. So what? I make you lamb anyway. Okay, hear this. All right? <laughs> the fact is, my friends, the issue is, is that you've got to put something on the table. The fact is that this guy wanted bread. What did he want? See, he wanted bread. That bread is what all of us need to offer people in whatever package we could get it to them in. That's the bread of life who is Jesus himself. Every day, we're in the same condition. Our needs that we have every day of our lives are for other people. I want more anointing in my life. Why? For others to get saved. I need more finances. Why? So I could use money for the reason why God gave it, which is to bring influence so people could get saved. Why? I want to have a position of influence in my work and the places that I go. Why? So that I could influence people so they could get saved. I want to be able to speak better. Why? So I could influence people and get them saved. It's all about others. Are you hearing me? In this parable, there's a guy. In this parable, there's a guy and the guy has a his needs for someone right remember that right this is the beginning of this parable in the parable there's a the guy has a but it needs for someone and i want you to see that it's a late hour everyone say late hour it's a late hour guys this is where most people blow it in their walks with god they think god it's too late god it's never going to happen god can i tell you the funniest the most people ask me all the time weird things or great things that i've seen throughout the years of ministry can I give you, like, one of the weirdest? Come on. Okay. So my wife and I are at an altar, and we're speaking to hundreds of college students. And, and, and we're speaking. And there's this one girl, 21 years old. How old? She's 21 years old. She's at the altar, and she's weeping her guts out. I mean, I'm not talking about, like, <laughs> I'm talking about, it's not flowing, the whole thing. She has lost it. Well, I mean, people have now left the altar. All sorts of cool things have happened. People have repented. Other things are going on. And my wife and I just had our hands on her, just praying and saying, God, whatever it is you're breaking her about, just keep breaking her. Well, she just kept going for about 20 minutes. So finally, Carol's like looking at me going, I'm going to calm her down a little bit, find out what's going on. So we calmed her down, and, and Carol looks at her and says, what's the problem? And I'm listening in on this because the two of us have our arms around her. What's the problem? She goes, it's over for me. How old did I say she was? 21. She said, she goes, it's over for me, it's over. And, 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 and Carol says, what? What's over? There's nothing too late for God. She goes, no, it's, it's too late for me. And Carol says, what is it? She goes, I'm an old maid. I'm never going to be married. What do you do with something like that? I'm sitting there, I went, and Carol hits me. You know the wifely elbow? How many guys know what I'm talking about? You know, the kick, the, the pinch, the whatever. She nails me with her elbow. I'm like, Bloop. I mean, I'm like, this is horrible. You're an old man. I mean, I don't know. She's 21 years old. And she's, it's over for her because she's never going to get married. You know what happened with that girl? She did exactly what you think a foolish 21-year-old would do who thinks like that. She went out and grabbed the first guy, got married, and was divorced by the age of 22 and a three quarters. Because the guy was absolutely horrific. How cool is that? Oh, by the way, with the child. Divorced him before the baby was born. How's that working for you? See, in our lives, we make these decisions because the devil cons us into thinking it's too late. But when you serve a God that actually raises the dead, even when somebody dies, it ain't too late for God. Come on, somebody shout amen. It's never too late. I'm telling you, our God can't. I hang, out with, I hang out with crazy people. I have one person who I love to pieces. She's, I think, approaching 80 right now in her life. She is what she calls a Holy Ghost hillbilly for Jesus Christ. She's a good old, good old 
tongue-talking, miracle-believing maniac from Arkansas originally. And she prays for our ministry. And I'm convinced that a lot of our fruitfulness is because of her prayers. Evelyn is her name. She literally walked in a family called. There was one member of the family that was saved. The patriarch of the family had died. He was lying there in the hospital dead. This person called her and said, can you come to the, to the hospital? All the families gathered here. They need to hear about Jesus. She walks into an, a room that's only got one saved person in it. Everybody else is weeping and crying. Walks up to the dead body, reaches down, picks up the guy's hand in the air like this as everybody's just staring at her in shock. Drops it like this. She looks at him, she looks at everybody and says, I've seen worse, let's pray. I like hanging out with people like that. I once watched her pray a whole bunch of teeth into a baby who had been born with no teeth buds in its mouth. No teeth were coming in this, and this family said, there's been some malformation, there's no teeth coming into my baby's mouth. She prayed, and I saw the x-ray that they took after her prayers, where all of a sudden teeth showed up, and that child grew up into having this great full set of dentures, uh, dentures, teeth. <laughs> Boy, that was really stupid. <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. That's the... That's the drawback to being hyper. Now, hear this. <laughs> Friends, I want to tell you something. I want to hang out with people like that who realize it's not too late for God. Well, you don't know the doctor just said this. Who cares what the doctor just said? God has the final word on everything. They just fired me. Oh, really? If God says you ain't fired, I'd like to see them keep you out of the office because God's going to end up giving you a promotion. My wife, Carol, is the greatest example of that. My incredible wife, Carol, who is a dentist, uh, uh, who, when she did a dental residency program, she got in this dental residency program, but the way she got in, I'm going to tell you something. When she interviewed for the program, and the head of the program was an or, not an Orthodox, but a Reformed Jew. He was a Jew of Jews. And when they asked her, a dais of 11 people, three of, or four of them were Jewish people, and the head of the program, a complete Jew, looked at him and looked at her and said, what is your philosophy of doing dentistry? Why do you want to get in this program? Well, I want to use my dentistry all over the world in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and leading people to Jesus, because I believe he's the Messiah, and I know he could change people's lives and that's my philosophy. When they chose, and there were 10,000 people applying for five seats, the five seats in this incredibly prestigious program. Carol was a very good student, but she wasn't in the upper echelon that a lot of these people were that are applying. When she told everybody what she said in her interview process, they all told her, Christian people said, you're a fool, you should have never said that. You should have not, you should have just told the party line, said I want to become effective in dentistry and, and learn from this program and all the rest, rather than answering truthfully. This is Christians telling her this. When the, the names came out, there were five people selected. There was uh, alternate sixth, seventh, and eighth. Nobody ever dropped out of the program anyway, but there were the five people they selected and the sixth, seventh, and eighth people. And Carol wasn't even on the first three pages of people they selected. And people were getting on her, and she was beating herself up. And she goes, I'm sorry, Dean. She goes, I'm, I, I feel like I'm beating myself up, but I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and who I am in Christ. I said, Carol? I said, you know what? Do you believe God called you to be in this program? She said, yes, I do. I said, then just keep your eyes on that and keep tr trusting God. And you, you know what? Don't worry about it, and we're just going to trust the Lord. You know what happened? Can I tell you what happened? You wanted me to tell you what happened? She gets a phone call. She gets a phone call from the head of the program. The head of the program, that Jewish man, the head of the program called her, and he said to her, he goes, Carol, he goes, uh, our fifth person dropped out. That never happened. So if number five comes out, don't you go to the first alternate? Right? Number six. The fifth person dropped out. Never knew what happened to that person. I actually never asked Carol what she did with the body. But the, pro the fact is, I want to tell you something. Number five person drops out, right? Number five person drops out. And this guy calls her and says, we've never had anybody answer like you answered. And we've never had anybody like you who ever came in and talked like you. And, you know, we all talked among ourselves. And we want somebody like you in our program. So we're offering you that fifth position. Would you want to take it? So then... In that year, Carol comes to me and she says, honey, there, uh, there's a possibility to become the chief resident the next year. That would be incredibly prestigious. And I feel like the Lord wants me to do this. So I want us to fast and pray and pray about it. And so we did. And I said, I believe it's the Lord too, honey. So go for it. So she put in her name as the, in the application. Well, being that this is a residency program that's working out a major trauma center in Chicago, the, they always have people who have given money for that program. You know, the big donors, they come in. And so they were ushering through some of the people who have given money to show how the students were working and the stuff that they were doing. Are you getting the picture? So they happened to walk in on Carol's cubicle as she was getting her patient baptized in the Holy Spirit. She was laying hands on the guy in the dental chair, and the guy sitting there like this going, get on, 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 because he just gotten filled with the Holy Spirit. They walked in on that, and they go, oh, we're so sorry, and all the rest, and they walked out. By the way, just as a complete aside, 
Talk about going to the dentist to get a filling. Puts a whole new perspective, huh? Oh, yeah, that's good. Come on. All right. Here, so, so they took her aside, the chief president, uh, one of the chief residents and somebody else, take her aside, and they started yelling at her, you can't do that. And all the rest, she goes, I could do whatever I want to with my patients. They come in, and I'm here not just to take care of their teeth, but to take care of every powder of them, whatever they want. And it's my business and theirs. And they said, you're going to be out of this program before this program ends. And that'll be a shame to you. That's what they warned her with. Guess who became the chief resident the next year? My beautiful wife, Carol. Can somebody shout amen? In this parable, there's a? Shout it. And the guy has a? But the need's for someone? It's a late? Don't fail God at the late hour. Your God knows how to take care of you. When everybody says it's over, it's just getting started for Jesus. Don't you ever, and not only that, but a closed door. Everyone shout closed door. Anybody here ever face a closed door in your life? Ever face that? Somebody slams a door in your face, huh? You know what? My Bible says I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. Last time I heard, doors have to be in walls. And if I can leap over the wall, a shut door don't do me any problem. I go to, look. The great irony and joy of my life is the fact that, the fun part of being me, uh, from my perspective, is the fact that previous to knowing Jesus, I was doing all these illegal things. Then I get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, called into the ministry, and I'm still doing illegal things, but they're for Jesus. <laughs> it's just like so awesome. I mean, because technically speaking, everything I do in a, in a lot of the countries that I do them in is just totally illegal. I mean, they're always trying to stop us. There's always secret police somewhere. It's always illegal. I mean, it's just like a blast to me. Do I care? No. I mean, it really doesn't matter. I mean, when, I, when you think about what God's brought you through, especially those of you who come from rough backgrounds like I do, what God took you through, designed you, and made you ready to do greater things than you could have ever imagined. Somebody said you're a nobody going nowhere fast. I'm telling you, you were made to be a missionary and to go to places that nobody else wants to go. God has raised you up for this hour. Somebody shout Amen. I mean this with all my heart. I'd rather take you somewhere. You see people pulling out guns. You're like, oh, man, I used to have something just like that, man. <laughs> you're not going to have a problem with it. Other people I'll bring, they're like, oh, they have guns. You're being like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of home. <laughs> Reminds me of when I was seven. They used to let us play with that. <laughs> Dude, that's an Uzi. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to me, man. So, so, guys, I just want you to get this, right? So I go to all these places. I mean, God preps you for all this stuff, right? So I'm overseas in Myanmar. This is before Myanmar just recently came open. We have a thriving church network that has exploded in Myanmar. It's amazing. Formerly Burma. So we're, I, I'm in Burma, underground church. This is some years ago when we first went in there and kind of opened doors for certain things. And so, I mean, we just had to sneak, we had to sneak in. We had to go over the border. We had all this other stuff that's going on. But in order to get in, I had to get our passports. I had to get visas. I had to get stamps so we could get into the country. Are you hearing me? Right? So in order to do that, instead of coming from America directly, we were doing ministry in Thailand. So we went from Thailand to Yangon. So the underground church is waiting for us. All this stuff, secretive stuff. We can't even get in contact with them all the time. So it's like, you know, uh, it's limited contact. So we finally make these final contacts three days in advance. And then we have to give our passports in to get them stamped at the Burmese Embassy in Bangkok, Thailand. So we drop them off. On the Thursday, Friday, we're going to pick them up. Saturday morning, we're flying to Yangon. And then it's on. You know where we're going to do all this ministry. So, so they're going to be waiting for us. And this is the last contact we could kind of make with them because of the issues and stuff that were going on in those days. And so, so we, 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 we go there, man. And this is amazing. So we go, we drop it off. And on Friday, we're, we get up. We're just lollygagging around. We're excited about getting into this close country. We have the most amazing prayer meeting. We get in a taxi cab. We're driving. There's a 30-minute rainstorm. And the traffic comes to a screeching halt. For the better part of an hour and a half to two hours, our taxi cab did not move three feet. Not, not three miles, three feet. We're stuck. And I'm sitting there going, this is really crazy, but we're having a blast. We're getting out of the car, buying drinks as people are selling stuff along the thing, buying drinks, buying some food, stuff like that. So we're having a good time not thinking about anything. And the cab driver says, so you want me to bring you to this one place? He goes, what's there? I said, the Burmese embassy is what's there. And the cab driver says to us, the Burmese embassy is closed. This is a holiday. They closed down at noon, and it's already 1 o'clock. I said, what do you mean it's closed down? He goes, this is a holiday. Did you know this is a holiday? 
I'm like, oh my goodness. And I mean, I told everybody in the cab, you stay here. I had to pick up six passports, right? I had to pick up six passports. So I'm like, I'm out of here. So I jump out of the cab and I go running. I ran two kilometers. I don't even know how far that is. Like a mile and a half, maybe a mile, something like that, a little over a mile. And so, I mean, I run over there. I peel around the corner and I get there. And sure enough, the gates that will get you into the compound or the Burmese embassy, are they're chained shut with a, you know, a chain that's around like this on a huge lock, and it's chained shut. And I'm like, hello, I'm screaming, I'm shaking the gates. What do you do in a situation like that? I started screaming in tongues. I figure nobody understands me anyway, so why not go for it? Amen. So, I mean, I'm shaking the gates, man. I am so upset. I'm like, because they don't open again until Monday. By that time, we've lost our plane tickets. We've lost our travel. We've lost all the stuff we're doing. We can't communicate with the underground church. We, how are we going to get all this stuff out? We, we're, we're stuck. We're majorly stuck. So, so I'm screaming and I'm shaking the gates when it happened. All of a sudden, as I'm screaming and shaking the gates, and I finally let go, and I'm like, Jesus, do something. This guy shows up, a Burmese man, like this big. I love the Burmese people because they're practically born full size. They're so squishy, so squishy. And this guy who's this tall, dark little Burmese guy, he shows up. I mean, just all of a sudden, he's kind of like appearing in front of me like this. He shows up in front of me. He goes like this. He goes, like, be quiet. I'm shushed in every culture. And so he's like, like this. Goes like this. And he looks at me. He goes, six. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I need six passports. He goes, he goes like this. Turns around, and he starts walking towards the doors of the Burmese embassy. And I watched him as he walks up to the doors, and the doors open like this. Now, you have to understand, they didn't have electric doors. I'm not kidding you. They, I watched it, I'm like, how did he do that? They literally open like this without him touching them. He disappears in there for several minutes and comes walking out with a stack of passports. He comes walking out like this with a smile on his face, comes up to me, puts his hand through the thing with six, with six passports that have been rubber banded together. I undo the rubber bands as he hands them to me. I open them up, and they were just newly stamped. I mean, the, the, the ink was still wet, meaning they had just been stamped. Approved for multiple entries into the nation of Burma. Completely approved. And I looked at him, and he did this. He went... turned around and walked this way. I lean over like this, and he dematerialized through a wall. I mean, my hair was standing on the hair that was standing on my hair. <laughs> when you're that hairy, that really, you pay a price for that. Hear this. <laughs> on full moons, I worship the Lord by going, hallelujah. But anyway, so I... <laughs> really funny. I had to remember that. All right. All right. <laughs> that, was, that was really funny. Shock that one up. I want a copy of this tape. But anyway, so um, the guy, and I realized God sent me a Burmese angel. God sent me a Burmese angel. God gave me a Burmese angel. And then all of a sudden it occurred to me, wait a minute, that Burmese angel shushed me. They're even telling me to be quiet from heaven. I have to deal with that. I think about that. <laughs> there is no door that man can shut when God says it's open. The door that I open shall no man shut. The door that I shut shall no man open. Don't you tell me at any time and don't you ever receive it when God has told you there's something that's open to you and somebody says that's never going to happen for you. Don't you have that inferiority complex. You are the child of a king. You are the child of a king. Walk like it. Walk in the dignity and honor and the confidence that you are a child of a king. In this parable, there's a? And the guy has a? His needs for someone? It's a late and a closed and an answer that seems to be no. And an answer that seems to be? Now, this is my pet peeve. And we'll conclude our time together. But hear this, okay? Our, our minds are so conned by the devil. You hear a promise that God says. You're sitting there in your seat. You know how it is. You're in church. Here, slide over, slide over, slide over. I'm not sitting on your, your glasses. Okay, sorry. So you know how it is. You're, you're sitting in here, and you're sitting in church, and, and pastor's preaching, and you're like, amen. Oh, and you're like, oh, that's so good. And by, by the way, do you ever have it where you're sitting in church, 
and pastors preaching or what, you know, and, uh, and you always feel like, like maybe you had an argument before service or you had a fight with a friend or maybe a spouse. And all of a sudden you show up at church and pastor's talking to the very topic that you were talking. How many of you have ever had that happen? And you feel like he's staring right at you. How many of you have ever felt that? And how many of you get really mad at your family and friends thinking you told pastor to look right at me and tell him to talk about that? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you're sitting there in church and you're like, you to, and you get mad. I mean, you get really mad, right? You're mad. You're like, I can't believe he's looking at me. They told him to say this. I'm leaving this church. I can't believe they talk about my business. And he, he caters his messages right to me. It's only until you get about halfway through that message that the anointing of God finally breaks through all that stubbornness. And all of a sudden you realize, Ooh, it's God. And, and, and it's like the Roberta Flack song, killing me softly with his words. <laughs> And you're like, please give the altar call. I can't take that pressure anymore. <laughs> but you know how it is. You know, you're sitting in church, and, and you know how it is. You're, you're listening, and then he starts talking about stuff that God has for promises, right? And it kind of peps you up, right? But eventually, you learn the truth. We're having a personal discussion in front of everybody. Isn't it awesome? What's your name? Jo- Joanne. Oh, Joanne. I love your fabrics. Now, hear this, okay? <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. God help my mind. <laughs> right. So, 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 Jen, isn't it funny? I learned a long time ago that people believe very little of what others tell them, but 100% of what they tell themselves. I bet on a Sunday morning, if you don't believe that you look good with what you're looking at in the mirror and seeing, that you change until you feel like you look good. Is that true? Sometimes. Yes, sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. More, you, <laughs> more your daughter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is totally like a woman thing. Are you married? Okay. So, you know, when a husband looks at you and says, I think you look great, in your mind, if you don't think you look good, you're going to still change, aren't you? And that creates stress in every marriage, don't you think? Especially when the man's like, we're running late. Let's get going, right? Because, I mean, let's face it, that's a guy's prerogative to say, woman, you are late, (laughs) right? So that happens in a lot of marriages. You know, that really actually happens. And so we kind of, like, stress out. And I tell you the truth that if you think you don't look good with what you're wearing, you will change until you're convinced in your own mind you do, no matter if it's your husband or Jesus Christ himself is looking at you and saying, I'm going to come back soon. I think you look great. Let's come on, or whatever. If you're not convinced, I mean, wouldn't that actually probably be accurate? Yeah, probably pretty close. (laughs) You're like being so honest. That's so amazing, right? See, the problem exists as we're having this private conversation. Everybody's listening on this. The problem is, is that so many people do the same thing with God. And see, a lot of times you can tell people the promises of what God says about them, that no matter what they've done, God forgives them and God forgets. You could tell them, I don't care if you're under the torment of a devil, Jesus is going to set you free right now. You could look at him and say, you know what, it doesn't matter what problems you have in your marriage, Jesus could take care of that because he's going to change you and that is going to be part of the process of changing your marriage. You know, you can look at people and make them all the promises whatsoever. Like they're sick and you say, well, God sent his word and healed you and delivered you of all your destructions. By his stripes you are healed. You know, you could say that when God says he delivers you from your destructions, that there's no thing that will overtake you, but such as common to man. And if you've sinned, you know, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It doesn't matter what you've done. You could say that to people until you're blue in the face. You could look at them and say that Jesus delivered a guy who was filled with demons, who was a demoniac of the Gadarenes, and all these pigs ended up in the water, and the price of bacon went up. But the fact is, it doesn't matter. God sets people free. And no matter what the bondage, there is nothing that God cannot do. And you know what? It's so funny because people say, amen, and they'll say, he will do that for somebody else. But then you look at him and say, but he wants to do that for you, but he won't do it for me because I've done too much. I just told you that God will forgive anything. Well, yeah, he saved that other guy over there who did all those things. But, you know, I think what I did is even worse. You know, isn't it funny that no matter how much you try to convince people, Joanne, you seem so reasonable. And I mean, I mean, you like are in total agreement. Why can't we convince other people? I mean, like you and I could take these people. I mean, we could tell them. But the problem is people don't believe it because in their heads, even though the Bible says as many as are his promises, they are yes and amen. Everybody says, well, it's yes and amen for everybody else, but it's no for me. And then you know what happens? And this is the really bad part. I'm just doing this confession with you. I'm just confessing. 
I have people give me books on prayer all the time, Joanne. And it is so sad because these books say, well, you know, when you're praying, you know, God has promises, sure. But, you know, sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says maybe, and sometimes he doesn't even know what he's saying. That's kind of like what they say. So basically, somebody knows when they pray, they don't know what to expect. It's like nobody ever says what the Bible actually says. You know, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Did you know I counted it up? Five times alone, the Bible says that there are unconditional prayer promises. So as long as we're uh, approaching God and walking towards him, whatever we ask, God will do. And every promise he makes, none of them have ever been broken. God keeps his promises. He keeps his, all of his promises to all people at all times. And yet we have Christian people running around telling people, well, you can't expect God to keep his promises because that's not the way it actually is. There's a lot of woe, strife, and pain in this world, and probably that means for you. <laughs> Isn't that like the silliest thing ever? It is. But that's why we got to keep preaching to people and try to get them to put God's word into the mouth of the one who's talking in their head. Don't you think that's a great idea? Are you going to do that? Pinky promise in the presence of God. Come on. All right. <laughs> okay. Now, hear this. All right. By the way, you can't break a pinky promise in the presence of God. We just had a great conversation. I feel so enriched. I'm going to remember this time, Joanne. Hear this, okay? I want you all to get this, okay? Do you understand the conversation I just had with her is a conversation we can have with every single one of you. The Bible says his promises are yes and amen for all of you at all times. But what happens? What happens is so often in our lives, we convince ourselves that God says no to us. And in this parable... The answer is no. Now, I want to explain to you what's going on in the parable. And before we conclude our time, can I explain it to you? I want to give you a little Bible history. Can I? The day in which this happened and Jesus is telling his story, they only had a house. Their houses weren't like our houses unless they were filthy rich. And even then, they weren't like our houses. Their houses were usually one-room places. Okay? So when this guy says, I'm in bed with my kids and I can't get up and give, a, give you what you're asking for, you know what he's trying to communicate? He's trying to communicate, we've got this one-bedroom house, and the way they kept their beds, they would literally hike their beds up and lift them up with ropes up into the ceiling to get them out of the way so they could conduct all their business. They hung things on the walls. There were nails in the walls, and they would hang things and all the rest of the stuff. That's how it worked. And so the beds were then hidden in the ceiling, so to speak, and then they lowered them so that the family could then go to sleep at night. And when they lowered them, the headboard was their front door which opened inwards. Are you getting the picture? So when the guy's knocking on the door, he's knocking on their heads. And the father's in bed with his wife and his kids. He knows his wife could get up, but his kids are asleep. So through the door, he says, listen, man, stop knocking at my door. I can't give you what you're asking for because I am, I'm laying in bed and my kids are with me. In order to give you what I need, I have to wake them up, get them up, move them to the side, lift the bed up out of the way, then get you what you want and repeat the process in reverse to get them all back settled again. In order for me to get you what you want, that's what it's going to take. What's the end result of this parable? Does he get what he's asking for? Oh yeah, he does. Now, why would Jesus say the man says no and then comes through and gives him what he's asking for? Why? Why does he go through the explanation which everybody would have understood how much needed to happen for that to come through? Because he was trying to illustrate something to all of you. He's trying to let you know, I am so ready to answer your prayers. But the answers to those prayers did not come easy. They came through an incredible process. I went to a cross, took your sins on myself, took your sicknesses on myself. And I opened the way so you could boldly come to the throne of grace. And that you might obtain mercy and grace at your hour of need. There is free access at all times for you. But that came at a price. And he's illustrating it. Verse 8 tells you how all prayers are answered. Do you want to know the key to getting answers to prayer? Yes or no? And yet when I read you that Bible verse, and even if you read it in your own Bibles, you still didn't hear what I said. You didn't read it for what it actually says. Your mind did the trick that all our minds do. It put it in the way you thought it should have been said rather than what Jesus actually said. There is a way prayers are answered. Let me ask you all a question. All look at me right, real quick. I want to ask you all a question. Do you believe God answers your prayers because you're his kid and he loves you? Is that why he answers your prayers, yes or no? All out loud. That is actually not the truth. Your, your 
Relationship with God gives you access. But that's not why he answers your prayers. Verse 8 is why he answers your prayers. In verse 8, he says, I tell you the truth. Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. It doesn't say, of course he'll do it because he's his friend. Verse 8 says, I tell you the truth. Though he will not get up and give him the bread because of their friendship. I tell you the truth, because of his bold persistence, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs. Your relationship with God gives you access. It is bold persistence that gives you answers. It is knocking at the door and never stopping knocking that gets the door open. It is seeking and never stop seeking that gets you to find out the truth. It is, it is continually pursuing God and not taking no for an answer, my friends. That's what God is looking for. It's not your relationship. Your relationship gives you the access that you must have, but it's knocking. That's why it says, and I'm going to tell it to you just to conclude our time together. I'm going to tell it to you the way it actually is in the Greek, the way it should be translated in every English version Bible, the way it's actually written in the Greek language. He says this, I tell you the truth, for all who ask and keep on asking, that one receives. For the one who seeks and keep on seeking, that one finds. And the one who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be opened. So when the guy heard the no, he kept knocking and knocking and knocking. Now, everybody hear me. Stand to your feet. Everybody hear me, all right? He kept knocking and knocking and knocking. And this is what your God says to you. If you're going to see 2017 become what God wants it to be, you're going to have to become that kind of a prayer person. You're going to have to knock and keep on knocking. And time has come for you to stop taking no for an answer. You have to be the most absolutely stubbornly persistent people and saying, I will not stop God until I change. I will not stop God until you start answering. I will not stop until the answers, the, the promises come that you have promised regarding me, my family, my church. Oh, God in the Bay Area. God, you, know how, you know what happens, especially in, in spirit-filled congregations? Somebody gives a prophetic word and everybody says, oh, it's prophesied now it's going to happen. I can go on and eat. That's what Ahab, a horrible king, did. He went to eat while Elijah went to pray. The reason why the rain came wasn't because Elijah said it. Elijah said it and said, go up because it's going to happen. And he went up to the mountain and prayed. And he got in this position when he prayed, if you ever read that story, which was the birthing position of the day in which women gave birth to their children. Aren't you grateful we do it differently today, ladies? And so they would, he, but he birthed it because he prayed until it came to pass. For those of you who are Buster only fans, I mean, that's holding this position for a really long time, longer than Buster ever has. The reality is, is that we got to pray and keep on praying until the things are birthed. Now, here's the heavy revy. Anybody find it interesting that I kept reading to the end? I went past the parable and I read what Jesus says immediately afterwards. And there's no way. There's no way you could keep reading and not think that that's really bizarre. Because all of a sudden he says, so I tell you the truth, though he will not get up and give him what he is asking for, because of his bold persistence, he'll get up and give him as much as he needs. His friendship does not get him the answer. His keep on knocking is what gets him the answer. And then he says, ask, keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And then all of a sudden he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, gives him a scorpion? Doesn't anybody think that's a weird thing to go into? Yes or no? Come on, talk to me. Isn't that a weird thing? And then he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Can I explain to you why he brings that up? Do you want to know? Can I tell you this is why? Because you can't pray the way you need to pray for this year to become what God wants it to be. I don't want you to have the year you want. I want you to have the year God wants. I wish, I, I pray for every single person that this year becomes not what you were planning, but everything that God was planning. And if that's going to happen, we're going to have to be the most stubbornly persistent prayer people where they're literally shooing you off the property here because everybody wants to keep coming to pray. And because you won't stop praying in your house, in your car, at work, at church, that all the time they're going to have to quiet people down and say, come on, let's not get off here and we got to get to the service now. That we're just going to keep getting after God and we won't stop until the things that God promised happen. And when they start happening, we're going to keep praying anyway until they expand to everybody else. 
And after it's expanded to everybody else in the Bay Area, then when it spreads into the country. And guess what? Then we're going to keep on praying even still. When are we going to stop? Well, when Jesus comes back, sounds like a good time to me. Listen to me, everybody. God is telling you, you can't pray like this. Because we give up. Because to us, the door's locked. Because to us, the hour's too late. Because for us, you know, it's too big of a need. To us, God's saying no. We can't pray the way we're supposed to pray unless we have help. And that's why Jesus, who's talking about prayer the whole time, says, which of you fathers is asked, when your children ask for you something needful, is going to give them something evil in return? And the answer to that question is, no father would do that. You're going to give your kid what they need if it's something that they desperately need. And then Jesus finishes that whole line by saying this, how much more will my heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? What's he talking about? He's talking about your prayer language. He's basically promising everybody who's a believer in Christ who asks to be filled with the Holy Spirit is going to get the prayer language that they desperately need so they could pray the way God wants them to pray. That coincides with what God says in Romans 8 when he says, you can't pray the way you need to because you're weak. You think too many things that stop you from praying. You have too many life experiences that convince you to quit when it's time to get started. So guess what? God's going to enable you to pray the way you need to pray. That's why Romans 8, 26 and 27, you should write that in the margin of Luke chapter 11 and verses 11, 12, 13 right there. You should write it in the margin because that's the connecting verse that connects this whole thing together. You must pray in the spirit for God to accomplish what he wants. In this parable, help me out. In this parable, there's a? The guy has a? His needs for someone? It's a late? He faces a closed? An answer that seems to be, but he keeps on, and that's what you need to do. Come on, everybody clap your hands. Everybody in this room, come on. Hallelujah. Everybody, step out from where you're at. Come on up here. Come on, everybody come on up here.